Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics, Lost Confidence. There is evidence of another partisan activity that the Speaker was engaged with. Conservative and Bloc members say the common Speaker has lost their trust, but as the Conservative House leader's past mistakes come to light, have critics lost their moral high ground? We'll convene our weekly journalist panel. And... I am not going to indulge yet another one of Mr. Polyev's temper tantrums. Changing course to avoid conservative amendments. Does the opposition really score points by holding up the government's agenda? This is Primetime Politics. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Serapio. The Procedure and House Affairs Committee says Greg Fergus should keep his job, also commenting that the common speaker should apologize again for his behavior and pay a fine for using parliamentary resources to make a video for a Liberal event. But the committee was not unanimous in its conclusion, with Conservatives and Bloquis saying they no longer have confidence in the speaker, and the Conservative House leader raising another incident he says is troubling. I regretfully have to inform the House that there is evidence of another partisan activity that the Speaker was engaged with. Uh, I have in my hands a, uh, the, uh, a picture of Speaker at an event with the Honourable Member for Pontiac, which was labelled and advertised by the Liberal Party as in cocktail militant. Mr. Mr. Deputy Speaker, this is not even like the Speaker's honest. riding. This is a neighbouring riding. It's billed as a cocktail with activists or volunteers. I would like to seek unanimous consent to table these documents. Well, to talk about this and other issues, we're now joined by our weekly journalist panel. Stephanie Levitz is parliamentary reporter for the Toronto Star. Joël Denis Bellevance, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for La Presse. Hello to both of you. Hello. Good afternoon. So let's begin with Greg Fergus here. The, the committee members who looked into his conduct, they, they did not agree on an acceptable punishment. But we, we have heard from Conservatives and Bloc members. They say they no longer have confidence in the Speaker. So I get that he can stay, but can he really stay and have the authority here, Stephanie? It's interesting because as it was with the, pre the previous speaker, Anthony Rhoda, where there was like an evolution of acceptance, you know, at first it, an apology was sufficient and then it wasn't sufficient. And then Anthony Rhoda, you know, really realized he had lost the confidence of the House and had to resign. The distinction here perhaps is that in totality, Greg Fergus has not lost the confidence of the House. And so is there a way for him to be considered still this neutral party in the House of Commons or will the Bloc Québécois and the Conservatives together um, try to gum up any of that? Is that the point at which it becomes unsustainable, Michael, if they not just um, say that they don't have confidence in him, but begin to fight him and make Parliament completely unworkable? And that might be a stage at which Mr. Fergus, who has apologized, who's been called upon to apologize again, pay a fine, might say, OK, I can't do this job. Uh, Jordani, what do you think? Can Fergus really stay in this job? No, I don't think he uh, he can. I think he is on shakier grounds now that we've learned that he also took part in the cocktail event for Liberal Party of Quebec uh, this fall. So it's uh, the Ontario Liberal Party, the Quebec Liberal Party. And so uh, the Bloc Québécois and the Conservative Party will not uh, 
really gave their confidence back to the speaker. So my sense is that they're going to make his life very miserable uh, whenever the House of Commons resumes in January. They're not uh, going to make his life uh, easy. And so I think if it does affect the work of Parliament, as Stephanie mentioned, I think other parties will uh, join the Bloc and the Conservative Party, namely the NDP. I think the NDP could be throwing uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Fergus under the bus eventually. So uh, my sense is that Mr. Fergus will have to leave his job eventually. If it's not now, probably in the near future, in the near. Okay, but you know, Stephanie, the, the CBC did report uh, today that uh, Andrew Scheer was fined earlier this year for filming a partisan video in his parliamentary office. Does that report rob Conservatives of the moral high ground on the issue, though? I mean, it's an interesting question, right, because Andrew Scheer himself was a former speaker. So of all the MPs who ought to know better about the rules um, around using Parliament Hill resources for partisan gain, Mr. Scheer ought to be, you know, right top of that list. But the distinction is, in fact, that he was not the speaker when he made the video. There is a difference when it is Speaker Greg Fergus making the video as opposed to, you know, Liberal MP Greg Fergus making the video. And as J.D. pointed out a moment ago, it's not just this particular video that is now leading to questions about Mr. Fergus sort of perhaps not walking the line appropriately between being speaker and also being a liberal. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Georgini, I'll get you pick up the next issue here because we saw a change in language from the Trudeau government on another matter altogether. This has to do with Gaza. In the past, uh, Canada has called for humanitarian pauses in the fighting, but now Canada is calling for a ceasefire. What changed for the Liberals here? Well, the situation is worsening day by day in Gaza. So obviously, this uh, I think is taking toll not only on the people of Gaza but also on on the support that the, the but the Trudeau government was giving to Israel. So uh, Ottawa is now pushing hard for Israel to show some restraint in terms of its uh, bombardment of Gaza. And uh, I think uh, Canada is now following its own policies, uh, not following the policies of the United States in that regard. So I think it was an evolution of the thinking in the cabinet. Uh, they are obviously taking some cues from the Liberal caucus, uh, which is very divided on the issue we have seen in, in this week. Um, I know Mr. Trudeau, as Stephanie reported, met the caucus, uh, the Jewish caucus, and also the, uh, uh, some other um, um, Muslim caucus to uh, inform them of the changes of the position. But it's a very difficult position for Canada and the Prime Minister. And uh, today, Mr. Trudeau was in Vancouver to try to build bridges between the two communities, meeting uh, leaders from the Muslim community and the Jewish community, so to make sure that uh, they understand what Canada is trying to do, trying to achieve achieve uh, peace uh, in that region that has been embroiled in a conflict for so many decades. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephanie, what, what do you have to say about this this change in language and policy for Canada? I mean, it is certainly a pivot away, and it's a pivot away not just in the current context of the war um, between Israel and Hamas. It's over, over decades now, years, Canada has very consistently voted with Israel and with the United States at resolutions at, before the UN dealing with Israel. Canada has long felt, as does the United States, and of course, as does Israel, that Israel is singled out unfairly in these resolutions, often targeted simply for the, you know, the fact of its existence. And those who seek to destroy it are never given any mention or never given any criticism. For Canada to break in this way begs the question of what is the future of our Middle East policy going forward? The war in Gaza is not going to end anytime soon. Billions of dollars in reconstruction will eventually, hopefully, one day be required because peace will be achieved. What that peace looks like, if a two-state solution is still possible, 
And, you know, Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie has sort of signaled and hinted about the fact that she sees some room for Canada to play a role there, some kind of convener status role in, in trying to chart a path forward. I think, unfortunately, making the choice to vote um, in what's seen by some as against Israel in this resolution and not abstaining, I should add. Canada has long abstained at these resolutions, not voted no, just abstained, perhaps has eliminated Canada's role as an honest broker in that region, which again brings us you know, to almost the evergreen question right now is what is Canada's foreign policy? Yeah, a big question. And in fact, we heard from the Israeli uh, ambassadors saying that Canada was being naive and that resolution that Canada voted for had no mention or condemnation of the Hamas attack on October the 7th. So we'll follow that one. But, you know, before we go, uh, I, I do also want to talk about COP28 in Dubai, Canada pushing for language around transitioning away from fossil fuels. It is included in the final agreement. How do you think that will be received here at home, Steph? I mean, I think to those who are already inclined to think that the Liberals' green agenda is is some kind of ideological machination that isn't really grounded in science or real meaning for climate change, they'll look at it and shrug their shoulders and say, see, told you, they want to phase out the entire oil and gas sector. They want to destroy Alberta's presence in the Canadian economy. They're going to bring everything down. I think to those who would like to see the Liberals be more aggressive on climate, um, you know, that the language was in the communique that maybe there'll be some signs of the Canadian government moving forward on, on long-term pledges to help the fossil fuel sector transition is almost as expected as, as sometimes these events often are. It's the side that wants the thing, is rewarded in getting the thing, and the people who hated it from the get-go are still going to hate it. Jean Denis? Well, I think we have reached a compromise in Canada because remember a few we a couple weeks ago, the government announced the cap-and-trade emissions for oil and gas industry. And this was a big compromise between two ministers, Jonathan Wilkinson on one part and Stephen Gilbo. And this, I think, was the best solution to come up uh, as to make sure that the industry would uh, achieve the net uh, zero carbon uh, by 2050. So they are giving a chance to the industry to thrive still, I think. But we all know that we have to make sure that the environment is protected. And the industry has the oil and gas industry has a big role to play in that because we'll still need some oil and gas for the near future. But eventually, we'll have to, you know, reduce our consumption if we want to save the planet. And that's clearly uh, what the COP20 was all about. Mm -hmm. Well, again, of course, we'll monitor that story as well as uh, the policy makes its way into the new year. But listen, this is the end of the uh, parliamentary agenda for 2023 or the calendar for 2023. So, to both Stephanie and Joel Denis, thank you for this and happy holidays to both of you. Thanks, guys. There was a last-minute switch of business in the House of Commons today. The government had planned to debate Bill C-50, the Sustainable Jobs Act, but that was changed after Conservatives tabled 198 amendments to it. So instead of Bill C-50, Liberals had MPs debate the much less contentious Bill C-58, a ban on the use of replacement workers in federally regulated sectors. The government House leader, Karina Gould, was not impressed with the Conservative amendments and says it is time for Pierre Polyev to head home for the holidays and reflect on his, quote, obstruction. Instead of entertaining his little temper tantrum, I'm going to suggest that he takes a little bit of a time out. We're just about to move into the holidays. And I think it's a good idea for Mr. Polyev and his Conservative members of Parliament to go home, cool down a bit, take a break, talk to Canadians, real Canadians, 
and reflect on, I won't even say childish, because I don't want to insult Canadian children, because quite frankly, they behave better than most Conservative MPs, but to reflect on their politics of obstruction and their irresponsible actions of this session. Well, joining us now is our weekly political panel. Susan Smith is principal with the Blue Sky Strategy Group, Tim Powers, chairman of Summa Strategies, and Anne McGrath, the NDP's national director. Hello to the three of you. Hi, Michael. So the business of the House uh, had that last-minute change today, again, because Conservatives were uh, threatening to pull some procedural punches. You know, does this tactic help the Conservative Party in any way? Susan, I'll get you to start. I mean, parties do it because sometimes it does help them. In this case, the behavioral shenanigans that the Conservatives have engaged in in the last week or so, I think has actually backfired on them. It left their caucus tired and kind of cranky. They thought they were going to introduce motions and it figured they figured out that that could be grouped. The 30 hours of marathon voting cost you, me and all the taxpayers a whole bunch more money. And it actually gave the Liberals a whole bunch of ammunition to say the Conservatives voted against Ukraine and they voted against housing and they voted against gun control. So I think they misplayed their hand a little bit. At this point, I think Canadians are thinking about Christmas. I think they're th they're thinking about the lists of things they need to do, the people they haven't bought gifts for. And most members of Parliament just want to get the heck out of town. So the, the noise, and there's a lot of wah, wah, wah at Charlie Brown's school teacher that's happening right now. And I don't think it's doing the Conservatives any good. Uh, Tim, what do you think? Uh, well, look, I can just judge by our abacus data, right, that we put out earlier in the week. And uh, while the Conservatives still lead by 10 percentage points, and that's a significant lead and something they uh, probably never envisioned they would have at this time, they did drop by five. There's some evidence in there, Michael, to suggest that some of it may be around um, uh, uh, how the procedural shenanigans have played out. That said, um, while it's been unifying for the Liberals, it's probably equally unifying for some on the Conservative side, particularly for Mr. Polyev's own team um, and, and people that support them uh, for continuing to fight on issues that, at least for Conservative partisans, remain important. You know, I, I don't think anybody will remember this come come January, and the Conservatives will probably look at this and, and do a deeper assessment as to whether it was truly effective, whether that was why they dropped for five points by five points and whether they will continue with this approach as uh, as the uh, parliamentary term moves on. Mm -hmm. And what's your what's your take on it? Well, I'll actually be very interested to see if what's happening in the House is having an impact on uh, the, on the Conservative fortunes. I mean, they put a lot of money behind that kind of image makeover and advertising campaign that sort of portrayed uh, the Conservative leader, Pierre Poiliev, as a sort of a, you know, sort of kinder, kinder gentler uh, persona. And that's in stark contrast to his behavior, whether it's with journalists in scrums or in the House with the procedural uh, shenanigans or, or those kinds of things. And generally speaking, I would have thought that with such a massive ad buy and 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 investment in this this new image, um, that that disconnect might not have actually uh, played in there, you know, played out against them. But it looks like it may be. I mean, I think that they they definitely have either overplayed their hand or uh, or or miscalculated in in a serious way. And I. I particularly think that standing up, uh, I think it was 130 or 136 times to vote against things like school nutrition programs, the military, 
um, uh, you know, like uh, the, the, the policing, um, all of the things that they voted against is going to really come back to bite them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, that, that does lead me to the polling numbers, because, you know, here we are at the end of the parliamentary calendar for, for this year. And the Conservatives have been riding high in the polls, but given the fact that they've been riding high, what do they actually need to be careful of? Uh, Susan, I'll start you on that one. You know, Tim made a really good point, Michael. They have been riding high. There's no question. 14, 15 point leads for several months now. And to see a five point shift is pretty significant. And I think it's two things. It's some kind of bad behavior, schoolyard behavior that I think is backfiring on them. I also think the Liberals have put some good things in the window. They've moved the bar on housing. They um, made some significant announcements across the country, even this national housing catalog that they're talking about. I still expect that to play out in the polls. But I think what the Conservatives have to watch for is looking like schoolyard bullies instead of schoolyard uh, leaders. Um, they they probably should try to be more the captain of the, you know, the soccer team or including everybody in uh, instead of being the ones shoving people around and chirping at them. Uh, the other thing I think the Conservatives have to be careful of is they need to be care- very careful not to pander to the right wing. There's still those that want to court the potential Max Bernier supporters of the People's, Par- People's Party. And so sometimes you see some knee-jerk reactions that um, relate to that. Finally, uh, I think they need to put some meat in their sandwich if I'm going to keep the schoolyard uh, analogy going. Uh, right now, there's two slices of bread and not much in the middle. And Mr. Polyev, the closer he inches to an election, the more Canadians are going to or are going to say to him, uh, what do you got for us apart from complaining? Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim, what, does the, uh, what do you think the party needs to be worried about? Well, of course, that would be gluten-free bread and plant-based protein. I know. And no uh, peanuts. No peanuts. No peanuts. No peanuts. <laughs> you get in trouble at school with all of that. Um, well, I, just going to that data again, more specifically our data, I appreciate there's other bits out there too, but um, the Liberals haven't gained so in in our numbers and the liberal negatives are still very high so there was something that happened i think the in in the conservative drop um i think susan is right to say the conservatives have to realize that there are now more eyes on them and there probably will be more eyes on them as they move forward more than they've had uh in mr polyev's early tenure as leader so you have to be mindful of that and and determine how that will influence your particular behavior. Um, I, I think the Conservatives also need to take some time to figure out, all right, is our right flank cemented? Because the worry from the 2021 election uh, was that that right flank had had bled off a little bit. I think they can, with some comfort, say it's cemented and not always find a way to reinforce the need um, to focus on things like carbon pricing and the like for that particular flank. And the last thing I think they need to do uh, is recognize that they have been setting the agenda for the last six months, certainly since they've had the big lead in the polls. So how do they use that to their advantage as opposed to it becoming disadvantageous to them where there's an intense scrutiny? So is that more policy or is that um, a continuing tonal changes? So all of those things would be what I would be looking at. Mm-hmm. And you, Anne, uh, you, you talked about the disconnect earlier. What do you think conservatives need to be worried about? Well, I think that they need to worry about uh, uh, kind of their true natures uh, in, in some ways. Uh, like I said before, that this is, you know, they have this 
amazing advertising campaign with like money that we don't normally see between uh, between election campaigns uh, being put towards it. And then, but then when their behavior um, is they they come off as sort of really sort of cocky and 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 kind of bull, a little bit of bullying and and definitely I think they it's like they're, they're behaving like frat boys uh, in, in many cases and they're just so pleased with themselves whenever they can do something that you know come they they can come off looking a bit mean so I think if they're gonna you know if they're gonna pay attention to some of the the shifts in polling that seem to be happening right now, they are going to need to recalibrate and think about uh, what they're putting in the window uh, beyond what they what they can pay for in advertising. Uh, again, as, uh, as I've mentioned, uh, normally, or, or at least in, in modern days, um, uh, earned media is not as uh, useful in some ways as paid advertising. So I think that they had the balance right on the paid advertising, but people are starting to notice who they are. Okay. Well, if the liberal, if the conservatives are leading, of course, that leaves the liberals and the new Democrats trailing. So running out of time, so I'm going to leave it up to you. What do you think uh, either the liberals, new Democrats, perhaps both need to do uh, when parliament gets back in January to, to help their polling numbers? Susan? Keep punching back at Polyev and calling him out. I think they need to keep going on their legislative agenda, the dental care stuff, looking at affordability, putting in measures, keep pushing the housing, and they need to do a keep doing a good job or doing a better job of listening to Canadians and reflecting what it is that they are concerned about. But at the same time, there needs to be a greater calling out and a greater branding of Pierre Polyev. This is something everybody's heard me say tons of times that I think has been a gap in the Liberal strategy, and he's been able to occupy that airtime. So they need to do their jobs and then remind them that the other guy would be the wrong choice for the country. Okay, so Susan, focusing on the Liberals. Uh, Tim, what do you say? Uh, well, you know, if they believe in prayer, maybe they ought to pray too. It's a tough time when you're uh, where a government and you've had the run that they have. But more seriously, uh, Michael, I would say they have to watch uh, diminishing their own goals, putting the, the the puck in the net or the ball in the net, uh, as they did so often over the last year. And they have to figure out who it is they want to be when they're going to go to the electorate again. Their identity has been all over the place. They've been inconsistent. They need to clean up all of that if they want to get back into a competitive place. Mm -hmm. uh, Anne, uh, what do you say? Uh, Liberal, NDP, where, where do you think they need to go? Well, I would say that, that for the NDP, uh, uh, there's still a lot of work to do in, in achieving the um, principles or the, what's outlined in the supply and confidence agreement. So we have to keep working hard on, on getting those things done and getting recognition for that work. I think it's going to be very, very, it's very hard to do, but it's very important to do is to get that recognition and to push uh, the Liberals uh, forward on all, on all of those commitments that were made in the, in the, uh, in the CASA. And then I think the other thing is uh, uh, to Susan point is that we have to uh, present a very strong uh, force against Polyev and the Conservatives. And we and, and it's, a, it's a very tricky situation because we also have to differentiate from the Liberals. Uh, and, and so the NDP has to be, you know, its own party, pushing the Liberals hard to do things that they that they don't want to do, get some recognition for that, and, and uh, fight Polyev and the Conservatives. Mm -hmm. And as you say that, we should also note that uh, as this day uh, progressed, we also got news that uh, Pharmacare, there's now a deadline to, to come up with some type of uh, agreement around that. Uh, do you want to say anything about that, Anne? Well, it's an it's an amendment and it's an amendment to the agreement to uh, to you know basically and I think I've said this before um, and and our health critic has said it as well is that we want we want something substantive and real on this and so uh, I'd rather I'd rather 
push it off a little bit uh, and and get something real um, than than uh, than rush to the deadline. Okay. Well, of course, uh, we watch and listen. Uh, again, this is the end of the parliamentary calendar for 2023. It's really been a pleasure to uh, share every week with you guys. So once again, thank you and happy holiday to all three of you. Thanks, Michael. To you too, and your your viewers. Thank you. Take care. Last week, R.J. Simpson was chosen the Premier of the Northwest Territories, a territory that operates as a consensus government, which means MLAs select the Premier via a secret ballot. Well, earlier today, we had our first chance to speak with the Premier, and we began our discussion by talking about his call on Ottawa to exempt NWT from the carbon tax. Well, that's actually been the, uh, the position of the government of the Northwest Territories since day one since the carbon tax was introduced. Um, You know, the fact is that in the Northwest Territories, we already have, we already pay higher costs than anywhere in Canada for, um, you know, for for fuel, for power. And so if increased costs were what was going to uh, move us towards green technology and uh, green energy, we would have been the first ones in Canada to do that. Um, But the fact is the technology isn't at a place yet um, where we can fully utilize it and we are not, we don't have the infrastructure in place to take advantage of, of things. So we don't have most of our communities connected to a hydro grid. Um, they're, they're primarily uh, runoff diesel generated power plants. And our territories, 1.3 million square kilometers, 33 communities, many of them not connected by roads, uh, let alone power lines. And so we just don't have the ability to, to do that, make that transition on our own. And so the carbon tax is not really um, like serving the purpose here in the north. Mm-hmm. Now, the federal conservatives have latched on to, to the comment and the argument that you're making here and using it to push essentially for the carbon tax to be dropped altogether. How do you feel about that? You know, here in the territories, we are a nonpartisan government. We're all elected as individuals, um, independents rather, and we come together and uh, we put forward our priorities uh, as a collective based on the needs and the wants of the territory. And so I don't, uh, I don't really get involved in party politics. Uh, we work with whoever uh, happens to be in power. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do wonder, though, because as you say, you work who's ever in power. The, the, the issue, or rather the argument you're making regarding the carbon tax goes to an issue of affordability. So when you hear the Trudeau government announce measures uh, to address other issues like housing, like groceries, uh, the environment for that matter, do you feel it's sensitive enough, sensitive enough rather to your territory's concerns? Uh, I guess it's difficult to roll out a national policy that really pays enough attention to the Northwest Territories um, and really all three of the territories. We are very unique and very different from Southern Canada. Of course, the population is is the biggest thing. Um, most residents of, of Canada live within a couple hundred kilometers of the U.S. border. Um, and the further north you go, the more sparsely populated it is. And so that that's the position we're in. We also don't have the the infrastructure that exists and has existed for many years in Southern Canada. So uh, we also have u- unique dynamics, many small communities. Um, we're, we're an indigenous territory. So we always try to work with the, the federal government to tailor programs for the North because the solution that was going to work for um, the 10 provinces, just they generally don't work for the territories. And that was just a part of our conversation with the Northwest Territories Premier R.J. Simpson. You can watch our full discussion on our website, cpac.ca or online on our YouTube channel.
And that is our program for today. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. As we leave, though, we do want to say a big congratulations to the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, because today he and his wife officially announced the birth of their second daughter, who arrived on December the 12th. Congratulations to the whole family, and for everyone at home, take care.